This week we'll be discussing an inevitable part of being a pet parent. At some point, we have to say goodbye. I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and this week is Pet Grief Awareness Week. Every day I'll be interviewing pet loss experts, grief counselors, and professionals who have dedicated their lives to helping people just like you before, during, and after the loss of an animal's soulmate. We'll be covering all of the topics that gives heartbroken humans the best support. Anticipatory grief, how to know when to say goodbye and what to expect, and how to manage grief, guilt, and forgiveness. We'll also be talking about ways you can help celebrate your animal's life and memorialize your pet. I hope you find today's interview helpful as you journey through your grief. Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and joining me today is Moya Allen, who is really made it her passion to help people work through their grief. And she's put together a tremendous body of information and work helping people cope with their overwhelming feelings of loss and sorrow. And I'm so thankful that she's joining me today as a part of our Grief Awareness Week. So Moira, thank you for joining me. And I'm excited to learn more about your passion, but let's back up and talk a little bit to our listeners and readers about how you got into the field of grief therapy, grief work, grief awareness, because I'm sure that uh, probably trial by fire. I'm assuming that you had unaddressed grief and you figured out that you wanted to address it, but if you could walk us through how you got into this line of work or passion, that would be great. Well, thank you, Karen. Uh, it goes back to, uh, what was it, about 1987, I think. And of course it starts with losing a pet and we had a cat and that cat died. And of course I was naturally grieving, but at the time, I was working for a pet magazine, which doesn't exist under the same name anymore, so I won't get into which one. And we had a custom of running uh, reader surveys every month. So every month we'd run a survey, and the next month or two months later, we'd do the results. And, and then we did surveys on things like, what kind of collar do you like for your dog, and blah, 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 blah. And we'd get like, you know, 30 or 40 responses and I don't know why we chose this, but we ran a survey on pet loss hmm. and we got hundreds of responses and people just poured their hearts out. They wrote letters. They wrote about how, hmm. and the thing that came across to me in this was how many people were writing, I'm probably the only person who feels this way, but, and then they'd go on to talk about how terrible it was and how much they hurt and how much they missed their pet or how guilty they felt. And, you know, want to talk about guilt more later in this conversation, but just reading all these people who, you know, this was many, 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 we won't say how many years before the internet. Uh, and so they had no means, you know, you didn't have blogs, you didn't have forums, you didn't have ways for people to get together and talk about this with each other. And the, the realization that you had all these hundreds of people, every one of them sitting there in their home thinking they were the only person that, that they were somehow strange or they had a mental problem because they felt so much grief over the loss of a pet. And I'm looking, I'm reading all these responses and I'm going, there's a book here. Mm. You know, there is, you know, this needs to get out there. And there were only, I think, two books, mm -hmm. both of which were very, they were written by psychologists. They were very complicated and academic and not at all user-friendly, as we would say today. And so I decided I was going to sit down and write the book about pet loss. And one of the things that I was doing too was bringing together these stories from these people mm -hmm. so that it wasn't just me sitting down because a, a lot of books have come out since then. It's like, I lost my pet. Here's what I feel. It's all, you know, this is my experience, but it's not every, kind of everybody's experience. Mm -hmm. So that's basically how the book got launched. And then years later, the internet came along. So then I launched the website and I've basically been flogging this ever since. And what's amazing is I will still occasionally get an email or from somebody saying, well, you know, losing a pet's really not that big a deal. I mean, you just kind of want to reach through the screen and smack somebody when they say that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And because it's also individual, of course, for some people, they just go to the pet store and get another one. That is not the vast majority of true pet lovers that I know. It is not near. There's also those same people that get new husbands or wives when they, when they also die. So, you know, our, our, our ability to recycle life is very variable. Uh, this particular week, we, I wanted to do a deep dive about loss for those of us that struggle deeply and profoundly in just date, getting over just the day-to-day living without an animal that meant so much to us. So, uh, despite the fact that I'm sure you do get those emails every now and then I'm sure the vast majority of people, not only reading your book, but visiting your website are having similar experiences to you and I, which is I'm having a hard time keeping going. Help me out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And so, so you set up your website for listeners that aren't familiar with your website. If people wanted to go visit it, could you give us some more information? It's www.pet-loss.net. Okay. And so it's, it's called the pet loss support page. And so it has lots of articles. It has a bunch of handouts. If, if you're by any chance a vet or you run a, a support group or something, there's a lot of free handouts on there. Nice. And we do also maintain a state-by-state guide to professional resources like counselors, support groups, nice. uh, cemeteries, hospice, euthanasia, you know, in-home euthanasia, suppliers, that type of thing. And, and nice. we try to keep that pretty much up to date, although I have to confess in this last year has been a little strange and I haven't updated it this last year. But yeah. but basically that's become pretty much an opt-in directory. So I know that it is like the most up-to-date pet loss professional directory for online now. And so yes. if you're looking for something in your area, that's a good place to start looking. What a beautiful gift and resource to the community, Moria. Really, it just is, it's it, it's a resource that has not been out there. And so for you to put this vast resource together, it really is, it really is a gift. So through this evolution now of many decades of you helping people with resources and tools through their grief, can I ask what are some of the kind of recurring beneficial steps that you have been able to identify as being maybe not consistently helpful for everyone, but generally applicable to the vast majority of people. Are there some consistent tips and suggestions that you have found consistently beneficial for people that are really struggling? Well, one of the first things that is consistently an issue is accepting that you hurt. Mm. And I think one of the problems we have today is we're, we live in a very positive focused society. I mean, you know, we're all supposed to be upbeat and happy all the time. And we don't have a lot of training in hurting. Mm -hmm. And of course, one of the reasons too is, you know, in, in our society today, we don't experience the amount of loss in our personal lives that say a hundred years ago, you might have. Yeah. And so we don't have a lot of training in grieving. And in, so when that hits, we're not accustomed to that feeling. So it's like, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? I don't understand it, especially if you are a first time pet owner. Mm-hmm. And I mean, after you've gone through it, you, you kind of build up that you, you know, it's going to happen. You can have all the intellectual understanding that it's going to happen in the world. And it doesn't help you feel any better when it actually happens, but at least, you know, you're going to go through this when you're doing it for the first time, it's overwhelming. And you may easily think, is there something wrong with me? Why am I feeling this so intensely? And so the first and most important step really is just embracing the fact, you know, I'm going to feel bad. This is going to hurt. There's no way around it. If I broke my leg, I wouldn't be surprised that it's going to hurt for two or three weeks while it heals. Pet loss is kind of the same way. It's when it happens, you just kind of have to sit back and realize, you know what, I'm just going to feel bad for a while. And people around me are going to need to understand that I'm going to be feeling bad for a while. And there's no shame and there's no guilt in that. And if you can't 
don't want to interact with that feeling, just, you know, be understanding and back off until I feel better. Yep. Yep. Do you find that the vast majority of people struggle with guilt or shame associated with their grief? People that are coming to your website, struggling with feeling, I don't want to say embarrassed about their grief, but having difficulty to let, to letting people know around them, the depth of their pain, because they feel, you know, it's a dog or a cat. And maybe we shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't feel this level of excruciating pain pertaining to an animal. Um, to, to a certain degree, I think there's still issues with people getting the kind of family support. And certainly when you go outside the family, if you're in the workplace and you know, you're still miserable, you might burst into tears at a moment's notice. And sometimes you find people who understand, sometimes you find people who don't, but you, you do feel embarrassed and, you know, the people are willing to cut you more slack. If you say, you know, my sister died or my mother died, but when you right. say my cat died, it's like, Oh, okay. And then they really think you're going to be over it in a few days. And it's difficult. And a lot of people too, they feel like they don't want to show weakness. If they're a parent, they don't want to show breakdown in front of the kids. They think they have to be the strong one. And that can create problems because then the kids, I've, I've run into this problem where the kids are feeling like, well, mom or dad, they don't care right. because they're not showing their grief. You know, they're trying to be strong for the sake of the kids and the kids are getting kind of the wrong message there because the kids want to break down and cry and the parents aren't showing how strongly they're grieving. So, yes. it, you know, it, it needs to be a family understanding. We're all feeling this way and we're all having to deal with this. It's a really important point that you make about, especially I think with young kids, depending on the dynamic of each family and depending on how open or communicative or emotionally available parents are to their kids. I haven't thought about that, I guess, to the extent that if parents are trying to stone face their grief, that in one way we're almost denying our young kids a, a lesson in empathy by not showing the extent of, as parents, the extent of our grief to our kids. So I think that like, that's a really valuable tip that parents out there, if you have a death of a hamster or a parakeet or a family dog or cat crying with your kids and letting your kids see the transparency in your grief and how much you're hurting is an incredibly valuable lifelong lesson in your children being able to openly express their own grief. And that's a really, really important piece. But I think as you're saying too, it's setting a tone for the rest of your life. You know, if, if you're a child and you're grieving and your parents are setting the example that they're not, then you, you can grow up thinking, well, okay, once I become an adult, then I don't do this anymore. You know, mm. I might have a cat or a dog or a parakeet or a hamster or whatever, but, you know, I will outgrow that uh. reaction to the loss of a pet. And you're not going to. Right, right. And I could see where later on, then that could make, as the child becomes an adult, they may think that their feelings again are irrational because I should have grown out of this. And yet it doesn't work that way. So being, it's a great tip for parents, being open and honest and communicative and transparent in how you're feeling, including whenever the tears come, allowing them to come or being able to verbalize your feelings for your kids in a role modeling fashion is a very, very important piece of having your kids become emotionally competent later on to deal with loss. Really good, good tip. And of course, so you're asking on, uh, you know, what are some of the tips? And of course, one of the big sources of guilt, the, you know, the biggest probably is having to put your pet to sleep. Mm -hmm. And people are always asking, how do I cope with that? And how do I deal with that? And how do I not feel guilty about that? And one of the coping strategies that I've 
talk about in my book and on the website and, you know, pretty much everywhere I can is pointing out to people that today with all the veterinary care that we have available, we can keep pets alive for so long and help them overcome so many hardships and illnesses, injuries, things that, again, years ago, that would have been the end. And it's not the end anymore. And we have to recognize when we get to that point in a pet's life that we've replaced nature. And we have to recognize that when we make that decision finally at the end of life, we since we have basically taken on the responsibility of replacing nature in our pets' lives, then we're replacing it in their death as well. Hmm. And we have to be willing to make that decision because we've made all these other decisions that if we couldn't have made them, the pet would already have died naturally and has not done so eventually, then we have to make that decision. And if you know, saying all that, that doesn't take away the fact that it is the hardest and it just the most guilt producing decision that we can make. Because again, and I was saying, you know, we're kind of a feel good society and we aren't accustomed to decisions where there's no feel good option at, at the end of the road. You know, we, we are kind of, I think, trained to believe that if you make the right decision, you're going to feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Or if you make a decision to put your pet to sleep, that you are not going to feel good about it. There's just, you know, that just does not happen. And so we're not used to associating the fact that, yes, you can make the right decision and it can just feel absolutely miserable and like you're walking on broken glass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Such really, really good, profound thoughts. I also didn't think, Moira, about the fact that, you know, some of my very old relatives, the women and the older relatives in my family have talked about how they miscarried three times, lost a child at birth, all their kids born at home. One child died at birth. One child died at two. uh, Another child died at seven. As a modern society with modern medicine, you're right. And not living in a third world country, we as humans in modern technology, modern medicine have not experienced nearly the depth and breadth of hardship and death, recurrent heartbreak of disease, dying and death that our ancestors previously have. You're, you're absolutely right. And out of that, our ability to develop any type of coping mechanisms, or like you said, at least, you know, the feelings that are coming, we, we, we haven't had in a one, in one aspect, thankfully, we haven't had that repetitive grief in our lives that our, our relatives in previous generations have had to figure out. We've not navigated that in the same sense that they have, but because modern medicine has afforded companion animals, an unbelievable and artificially extended lifespan. We're able to keep cats in kidney failure alive for five, six, seven, eight, nine years, which is a blessing. And yet we fail to recognize that many of our animals would have transitioned years previously if we didn't have kind of artificially modern medicine to patch them up abandon them up and keep them going. And yet it does not change the end result of the overwhelming pain. It is valid for us to recognize that we have, thanks to modern medicine, we have been able to give our pets the gift of life extension, but we're not stepping the hands of time, nor are we stopping the overwhelming feelings of grief. We're kind of postponing them, but we're not changing anything. Yeah. And, and we are postponing it and That's another area where, and you mentioned it earlier of when you do know, you know, for example, you do have a cat who's gone into kidney failure and I'm actually dealing with this right now myself and I have a cat who's 16 years old. And so, you know, I I love the idea of five years, but I know that's not happening. Yeah. But when you know, when you get a diagnosis and there are many, many diagnoses, you know, you have a pet with cancer, for example, you realize that the end is no longer hypothetical. It's no longer an intellectual thing. It's like, well, yeah, I know. I mean, my cat's 16 years old and I know she's going to die eventually. And that suddenly flips to my cat's 16 years old with kidney disease. 
eventually could be two or three months from now. This, yeah. this is now reality. It's not hypothetical. Then you go into what I call basically pre-bereavement grieving, mm-hmm. which is another thing that is hard for people around you to understand. You know, again, let's say you go into work because you've been told your dog has cancer and you're miserable. And people are looking at you like, but your dog's not dead yet. Why are right. you grieving? And it's very, that one is very hard to explain, I think, to people around you that you start grieving when you know your loss is coming, mm-hmm. not after your loss has happened. And that's also kind of a harder phase because you don't have, if, if you work through grief after you lose a pet, ideally, eventually you reach closure. Mm-hmm. When you're pre-grieving, there's no closure because the only closure is, well, then the pet dies and then you get to grieve for real. Yep. So, you know, you just, you know, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I also think uh, me being um, absolutely well attuned to kind of preemptive grief or, or the anxiety associated with knowing what I know as a doctor, I have struggled profoundly professionally. I read the tissue sample. I get the blood work. I know what my clients are headed for. And in turn, me being the caretaker, I, I view myself as also part of their family, certainly a part of their healthcare team. I have struggled profoundly with anticipatory grief for my clients and, and for the patient that I know I'm going to walk them through this process. It also though, Moira, robs us of any the anxiety can rob, of, rob us of us appreciating the fact that they are still here today and actually can prevent us from enjoying this last chapter of life with our companions. And that's a tough one to skate, tough one to get around. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is you're, you're seeing that in, in your practice that mm-hmm. once you hit that point and, and there, you know, you need to get into the sense that every cuddle that you now have is a gift and, you know, appreciate it and appreciate the fact that you still get a chance to have a cuddle with your cat or your dog and it's still coming around and, and, you know, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. Uh, One of the things that I've noticed that veterinary clinics are doing now, which I think is wonderful is the candle you know, on, on the counter. And, and that's relatively new. I think that's just wonderful to basically remind everybody else there too, that people are going through this. You may be going through this and you're not alone in this. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I do wish is that more clinics would, you know, pass out more information, you know, when when you hit that point where you're giving the diagnosis, you know, your dog has this or your cat has this, start providing people with some of the materials that they're going to need to help them through this period of time. Yep. Moira, people visiting your website in the last, since your website has been launched, do you see more people rather than visiting your website and seeking resources after their pet has died. Are you seeing more people attempting to prepare their own hearts for this process that they're about to embark on? Are you seeing an increase in the number of people wanting resources the second that they recognize that they have a terminal diagnosis or that their pet is indeed actively dying? Are you seeing more people address grief earlier? No, I really am not. Uh, I wish I were, but generally in terms of the emails that I get, it's almost always somebody who has gone through the loss and is now looking for the resources and finds the website, finds, finds tools that most people are not looking for the information and I think some of that is, is again, we don't want to think about it. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want to think. And again, also I was talking about a first time pet owner. You don't really know what you're going know what to be to dealing with, or that you're going to really need to, you know, find some information and understand what you are dealing with. Yeah. But no, I'm really not seeing that. Okay. Okay. And I agree with you. It's unfortunate. And yet I think it's human nature to avoid pain at all costs when we can. I think that 
I think that that's hardwired into us and, and it's understandable why people will potentially even the thought of searching, typing those words into a Google search for a lot of people too much. It's too much to think yeah. about. You're, you're making it real and you'd rather it stays not real. Yeah. Makes sense. You're, you're, you're admitting it in your own mind mm-hmm. and it can take a while to admit it. And also let's face it, you may be very focused on the steps you're, that you're needing to take to keep the pet in, in good health or as good health as you can keep it. And you're more focused on taking care of the pet than taking care of you. Right. Right. So speaking of which, are there any tips that we can think about simultaneously while we are caring for the animal that is fading what are some things that we can do to also simultaneously care for our own emotional well-being? Well, one of the things that I, I find is important and it's a good idea to start. If, if you have that opportunity that you know your pet is failing, you know that there is bad health, start thinking about this. Think about ways to create memorials. Mm-hmm. And, you know, gather together photographs, for example, that you've taken of the pet over the years. One of the things that I always like to do is get one of those picture frames that's got all the little pockets, you know, that you can put in like 20 different pictures and make a memorial over time of a particular pet. And yes. oh, hello, I see somebody up there. This is Callie. Yeah. And she's a definite comforter. Callie is a grief comforter. She's really good at her job. Yes, you are. And she is. And she shows up almost always at the perfect time when people need her to make a quiet appearance to say, I'm here to support you. And it's, she's quite wonderful at discerning when people need her, which is great. But I love that idea of collecting pictures along the way. I have also found collecting hair. As I grew brush my animals, I, I started collecting Ziploc baggies of, you know, when I remove their hair, Mm -hmm. I, I take their hair and put it in a Ziploc. And then at Christmas time, they now have these glass ornaments that you can add hair, Uh you can add anything to, but they're, you, they're plastic and you can either break them in half or you can pop the top off. Mm -hmm. And I have been able to save all of my animals, hair and fur. And it has been just magnificent because behind you. Is, yes, yes, yes. There's, t- you're going to see tails pop up all over. I'm surrounded yeah, you, by, <laughs> yes. Yes, you, you suddenly develop a tail across, out of your yes, yes, yes. You'll see tails kind of veer in all over and then veer out, just making a subtle appearance. Yeah. I, I love but, that idea though, with the hair. Yeah. And I actually have saved some, when my, my cat has a tendency to get mats and occasionally I have to just snip them out and I've been saving some of those too. Yeah. I had, I had a hard time, not just grabbing it off the uh, table at the vets, the, you know, a couple of weeks yes. ago, she, she had to shave her neck to uh, take blood and I'm going, <laughs> she shaved off her diamond and she's going, well, here. <laughs> yes, exactly. And those are um, even animals that have transitioned. I was going through some old plastic bins in my garage and I found some of Gemini's hair in my vet school books. And I collect, I call them magic fibers. I collect every single, because at this point, it's not just an endangered rarity, she's extinct. And so each of her blessed fibers of hair, I put into my, my memory globe for my Christmas tree. And I just have one out. And when I find my animal's hair, I, I, and whiskers as well, I have whisker jars, which are just such fantastic ways to, for an ongoing basis, remember our beloved. So there's, mm-hmm. there are some simple things you can, there's some, some simple things you can do as you are walking your pet down this last final chapter that can be very soothing to your soul. Things like a special toy, you know, something that was Mm. very special to that pet. I still have a collar from a cat that passed, oh gosh, when I was in college. So I still have her collar. I don't put collars on my cats anymore because they tend to lose them so quickly. (laughs) There's just no point, but you know, things, things of that. And if you 
have any desire to write things down, I find that it's a good idea to start doing that before you lose your pet, because afterwards you kind of, it's very easy to get into the, well, I will do this later. And later doesn't come. So this is also a good way while you're working through that preparatory time to write down and, and it helps remind you of all the good times that you've had. And these, because these are the things that one of the things, again, that, that you will find when you lose a pet is that it's very easy to get focused on the memories of the last days and, and the loss and, mm. and forget about the fact, you know, let's say you have a 16 year old cat that you don't want to be focusing on the last yes. three months or six months of that pet's life. Re mm -hmm. Go back and remember the other 16 years mm -hmm. and write down some of those stories and some of the funny things that that animal did. Get out the photos. Oh, yeah, I remember when, when they did that. And write it down. You know, make yourself a little multimedia presentation. Yeah. Make it That's a family great. thing if you can. Yeah, that's that's really good. And you're right. We we tend to think about the 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 miserable end for some some instances. Or you know, if you have an animal that has undergone cognitive or physical decline, we just think about all of the high maintenance, overwhelming last months when really all of the even really funny, silly, amazing stories get pushed to the corners of our minds. So talking yeah. about some of those brighter, better days can be very satisfying to our souls. And what you just said there too, if you are dealing with a pet where you're having a lot of you know, cognitive issues, behavioral issues, health issues, things that you've got to deal with over and over again, we're talking about guilt. Yes. One of the sources of guilt is you can feel relieved when your pet finally does pass. And then you feel guilty because I shouldn't yes. feel that way. I shouldn't feel relieved that this is now over. And that's something that you need to accept and embrace. It's like, yeah, this was hard for you too. It was not just hard for your pet. It was hard for you. And getting past that point where you now have to maybe deal with giving medications every day day or dealing with, a, you know, a vet visit every week or something like that, that yes, your life is, is going to change and it's changing in some positive ways too. And, and recognizing too, that it's changing in a positive way for your pet. One of the things, you know, to kind of flip subjects is that I like to tell people is when you're reaching that point of making that decision, never make your pet suffer just so you won't have to. Mm. Girl, that's it. Like deep as a veterinarian, those are, that's such an important thing. And yet it's so difficult to get that message relayed in a way that is not offensive or hurtful, Right. but it is a big, big issue in veterinary medicine yeah. where we see our patients, there is no more quality of life. It's not that they're yeah. even struggling to maintain quality of life. Quality of life is long it's gone. gone. Yeah. And in fact, the animal is suffering in some situation, agonal. And we have the very difficult job trying to explain to an emotionally overwhelmed, broken human that the animal does not, does, cannot feel good in their body at all. So why are we forcing them to stay in their body? And yeah. that's a hard and, thing for people. And it's to, a hard, yeah. It's a hard thing to say. It's like, because I don't want to hurt. I know how painful it's going to be. And I don't yeah. want to take that step, but, and in, in fairness too, one of the things that I did have noticed is that it can sneak up on you too, that as you say, the quality of life is going, but when you're with the pet every day, the changes are small. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just, you have a moment that you blink and you step back and you realize, oh my goodness, it's time. 
Mm-hmm. And the, the last cat that we had put to sleep, she had had a lot of health issues all her life. And we're not quite sure what she had at the end. We think she probably had a tumor. She you know, lost a lot of weight. She was dealing with issues. And I remember her coming into one of her spots and I looked over her and I was just this kind of blink. It's like, oh my, you have gone down so far. And I yep. wasn't catching it because it's a day-to-day thing. You need to be put to sleep now. Yep. And of course, the the upside of that was that I never felt the least bit of guilt once I realized it is time. If if you can make that adjustment in your head, it's like, oh, this is truly the best thing I can do, the kindest thing, the most loving thing that I can yes. do right now. Yes. Is to do this. Then you don't feel the guilt. It's when you're not quite sure, then that's yes. when it's hard. I I will say that I have had more of my clients reach out after euthanasia, not struggling with grieving, but struggling with, I waited too long, didn't I? I waited too long. Oh my gosh, I waited too long and they're overcome recognizing that they couldn't see they couldn't see the level of decline that their animals went through and they have horrible guilt about passing the threshold and letting their animals wallow at a place that they would not want for anything that they love and that's really that's a extra step of having to hop that hurdle and letting yourself off the hook of saying yeah, I, in exactly. my grief, I could not see straight and I'm going to let it go because beating yourself up, your animal's gone and they spend months or years beating themselves up for not what they perceive making the right choice at the right time. And that isn't healthy either. Well, and, and guilt in the pet loss world is 90% a matter of 2020 hindsight. If I mm-hmm. had known then what I know now, yeah, then I would have done this. I would have changed that. I would have done this differently. I would have done it sooner. And we beat ourselves up for having the information after the fact yeah, and not recognizing that when we were dealing with it, we were making generally, and I say generally because it's not always true. And you as a vet, you know, you know, there are people who are not going to make the right decisions and there's just not a lot you can do about that. But yeah. generally we are making the best decisions we can with the information that we have. And then we get more information afterwards and we say, well, I should have done this. I should have done that. Yes. And then the guilt kicks in and we have to recognize we did the best we could. Mm-hmm. And as you say, you've got to make a conscious decision to let it go. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision. Mm. And you can't just sit around and wait. Well, okay. Now I feel, Oh, I feel like I forgave myself. No, you're not going to ever feel like that. You have to decide. I'm not going to let this destroy my life and, and torment me for years. And this is not what my, my pet loved me. Yes. My pet would not be happy with the idea that, you know, because it died, I'm going to just torture myself for the next umpteen years of my life. That's not what your yes. pet wants. And you have to look back at all the things you did right. And again, going back in time to get to the point where you were, you had to have been doing something right. Mm-hmm. In fact, 99% of your decisions were probably stellar and excellent. And maybe even the euthanasia decision was correct. But for some reason you have through, through your emotional filtering, you have twisted that to somehow you have done something incorrect, wrong, or regardless, you have to get to the point of letting yourself off the hook, but that's a big step. So I love the fact that you say it's not an emotional feeling. You are going to you are going to actively decide that you will forgive yourself and let it go. Yeah. Because really if good. you don't, you're going to damage your relate. If, if you still have other pets, you're going to damage your relationship with the pets you still have. You're going yeah. to damage the relationship with your next pet, or as I'm sure you've probably seen, you're going to decide, well, I'm never going to have another pet again because I'm never, you know, I'm never going to go through this again. I'm just going to be miserable for the next, the rest of my life. Yep. 
And would you say that, and I have absolutely a lot of my clients have said, you know what, not doing this again. And not only do I understand that, most of us say, you know, when you have a soulmate, rarely do you have repeated soulmates. You may be one of the blessed angels on earth that you have had an incredible supernatural bond with human after human and animal after animal. Most people that has not been their experience. They love other people. They love other animals deeply, but there it's not this magical supernatural relationship. You tend to not have a dozen or two dozen of those in your lifetime. Most people don't. And out of that, what they say is I'm never doing this again. Do you think Moira, that this is potentially a reaction of unaddressed, open wounded grief that, that by, if we were to finish and complete the cycle where we have healed enough, where we can get to the point of even thinking about welcoming another animal into our house. If we can't get there, do you view that as a sign of unresolved grief or maybe not necessarily? I think to a great degree, and I think you are going to see that what you're describing most often with, again, a first-time pet owner where Mm. I grew up with pets and I'm betting you did too. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, we had pets, you know, obviously long before I was born, there were pets in the house when I came along. So I grew up with the dogs and the cats. And then those, you know, the the dogs that were there when I was first a a small child, you know, they, the first one disappeared, I think when I was two or three. So I was just kind of only vaguely aware of, gee, you know, Spook's gone. And then the next dog died probably when I was four or five. And then, you know, the family had had pets all this time. So then obviously they went out and they got new dogs. And so by the time I became an adult and was having what you would call my own pets, as opposed to the family's pets, I was used to the idea that, you know, you have a pet and then the pet dies and then you have another pet and that pet's going to die. And this goes on that to me, that's normal. I'm, I, don't quite know how it feels to say maybe you'd be in in your 20s or or even older and have that relationship for the first time and then lose it. I think that might be a very different experience from Mm -hmm. where I sit, Mm -hmm. that you might feel like that was your only soulmate, just as if you had a spouse and your spouse dies and you're saying, no, I'm never going to get married again. I'm not going to have five more husbands. Yep. Yep. But I think that we do underestimate our ability to keep on loving. I mean, if you are a person who could love, you're a person who can love again. And it's interesting. I have a visitor. (laughs) You do too. Excellent. Good. Good. Oh, I see. Yes. I see something back there. That's wonderful. Oh yeah. Here she is. Here she is. She's going, what on earth? Let me out of here. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, yes, well, she, she's a little nervous about being picked up right now because she's been having a few things done to her when she gets picked up. So she doesn't completely trust mommy trust, in an odd situation. Sure, sure. But, you know, I do think some of my clients say, when should I, you know, I when is it okay to like flip out about this diagnosis? Or, you know, when can I when is it appropriate to grieve? And I think that everyone's situation is very, very different. But if we can match our level of stress and anxiety to what our patient or what our beloved is doing, most animals that have a terminal diagnosis are wildly peaceful, living in the moment, doing actually pretty darn good. My vast experience in my 20 years of being a veterinarian is that animals get through death stellarly. Humans don't. And so our animals, our terminal animals actually can become an amazing role model for us on how to do it and do it well, if we can see using our animals as that role model. Uh, Yeah, because animals aren't, you know, when you get a diagnosis and say, okay, my dog has cancer. Your dog isn't sitting there going, oh, 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 what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to go through this and I've got, you know, they don't have the future sense (laughs) It's as you say, they're in the moment, they're living for now. And if they're comfortable now, they're not worried. We worry. They don't. Exactly. 
Exactly. And because of that, when our animals show signs of discomfort, yeah, as guardians, we should be hopping around. We should be saying, okay, you're clearly have discomfort. I need to do something right now. And you do that's maintaining quality of life. That is what they're relying on us to be their advocates in managing pain and discomfort and their own anxiety. So when my patients start to get uncomfortable, my client should too, that that is our job as parents to animals is to make sure that we are managing to the best of our ability. But what we don't need to do is spend our days in daily anxiety meltdown when our animals aren't for a couple of different reasons. First of all, animals pick up on that energy and animals are really good at smelling Mm -hmm. our anxiety, our fear. So we want to be in the best state possible for them, but there's also going to be plenty of opportunities later on to, to have whatever type of meltdown we want while our animals here and comfortable and having okay quality of life. That is, those are precious moments that I want to encourage people to take advantage of. And one of the things about that too, is I always say, if you're not grieving, if it doesn't hurt, how much could you have loved your animal in the first place? The whole point is it hurts because you love your animal so much. Mm-hmm. And when I run into somebody and I have a family member who, you know, she has about two days when she loses a pet and it's like, oh, I've lost my pet. And the two days later, it's like, well, okay, now we're you know, moving on. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I can't do it like that. Right. But you know, it's, we grieve because we love, if we didn't love, we wouldn't grieve. And if we didn't love, then, you know, I I don't believe in, you know, just, okay, my pet's gone. I'm going to go out tomorrow and I'm going to go get another one and start all over. You have to process that relationship. It is a relationship Mm -hmm. at the same time. Here's, here's kind of another little tip that I think people don't think about is I remember kind of discovering this when one of the first pets that my husband and I had together when we got married, I had her, she was a cat and then we got married. So she became our cat. And I think she was, she and her brother were both like, you know, come on, you two get married because I, I want him in the same house as you because she, they were just crazy about him. But when she died, you know, I was devastated, but I also realized There's a lot of your life, and you don't think about this, there's a lot of your life that you don't share with pets. You know, I'm a writer, so if I write an article, I don't go running to my cat and say, hey, read this. You know, there's things that you share with your pets, and then there's a huge amount of your life that, you know, your pet's idea of you as a writer is, oh, papers to lie on. Mm -hmm. And focus on, you know, when you need to get out of that constant feeling of I'm, I'm miserable. My life is over. There's just this huge emptiness in it. Focus on those parts of your life that your pet wasn't a part of. That's good advice. And remember that you've got big chunks of life there that you can turn to and you can deal with that can help distract you while the yeah. grief processes through because grief is basically a time thing. You know, the only thing that heals grief is time. Yeah. Yep. And, and that makes sense. And I think a lot of us do that subconsciously. We throw ourselves in that. That is my primary coping mechanism. When the sting, when it's that fresh sting where you're almost in shock and you, you, you know that you're grieving, but there's not active thought. I'm like, I will just drown myself in work, work, writing work, not physically caring for animals. Cause that stirs up emotions, but I'll just write myself into a place of finally being able to address what I'm feeling by kind of drowning myself in work. And I think that that is an a-okay, very healthy coping strategy. Yeah. yeah. Good. That's really good. Have you found any other suggestions or tips that you would say pet parents in general may benefit from maybe one last parting tip that makes, um, that has made sense to you over the many years that you have been actively helping people through this process? Well, one of the things that many people have said has been very helpful to them is to have some kind of a memorial ceremony, whether you're mm. an individual or whether you can do this as a family. I mean, we do that with humans. 
And we generally have some kind of ceremony. We may have a funeral. We may at least have a, a memorial service or something where people come together and, and people speak and they talk about what that person meant in their lives and so on and so forth. And many, many people say that doing something similar to that, if you do, if you're have the ability to say inter a pet on your own property that can you can have your own funeral service if you don't do that you can still basically just plan a, a you know kind of a formal gathering where you get together you talk you reminisce yeah. and you say some words and you're celebrating the fact that this life was there and this life is now gone but you're acknowledging it Mm -hmm. and doing something that is a formal acknowledgement that that life had meaning and now that life is over and it's going to take some time to, to work through those feelings. Yeah. Yeah. That's also really, really good. And you know, what's interesting, I have, I have been able to use a scheduled dedicated time set aside for that very purpose. That for me has been one of the biggest catalysts of me being able to, to move forward is having that. I think that that makes sense why humans have funerals for other humans is it is a, a ritual that is, is healing and it can be yeah. just as healing for anything, anything that you love. I think absolutely. Yeah, it's good. Really good advice. I am so thankful that there are beautiful humans like yourself out there that have made it their vocation and passion to help others through really difficult times. It's a beautiful gift that you are giving to the people that are seeking help and healing. And I'm so very thankful for your website, for your book, for your availability in giving people tools to help with their grief. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for watching this interview. I hope you came away with some important takeaways that will be helpful to you on your journey. This is a difficult topic to talk about for sure, but expanding your knowledge and educating yourself about the grief process will help you through it. We're so thankful you're taking the time to care for yourself in this way.